Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. We're finishing the series today called For the Life of the World, Christianity and Human Flourishing. What resources does the Christian faith provide to help humanity flourish? What contributions does Christianity make for the life of the world? And we've looked at beauty and goodness and truth, and today we look at hope, hope for the life of the world. Um, If you took a little piece of paper, and on that piece of paper you wrote negative thoughts that you have that really mess with your head, what would you write? Would it be a fear about losing something in your life? Does that keep you up at night? Might it be um, just anxieties about past failures that you've had? Might it be something that you're super uncertain about or maybe the pain of suffering or fear of more suffering? What would you write on the card or in a piece of paper about what negative thoughts come to your mind? When we went to the juvenile detention center a couple weeks back, that's what we were actually asked to do with some of the teenagers. The verb kind does a great job of giving these activities that, only, that not only help the kids think, but open up conversation. And so I was sitting with two teenage boys and we had a card and we were supposed to write on it negative thoughts that we have that keep coming up. You know, and I, I wrote something about sometimes the failures of my past uh, bother me. You know, like my failures to love people well have bothered me. And I asked the boys what they were going to write, and and they wrote this. There's a picture of one of their cards. Um, One of them wrote death, and the other one wrote death. Oh, wow, we just took it up a notch, guys. Um, Are you guys afraid of dying? Is that what you mean by these negative thoughts? Is that what that means on your card? And they both said, no, uh, we've seen death. And I won't go into all the details, but I asked them to tell me the stories, and both of them had seen horrific things with their young eyes. And these thoughts made them feel hopeless. These negative thoughts got in their mind and messed with them. And I could tell that these boys, only they were 13 or 14 or 15, they were sobered by what they had seen, and they were not able to get it out of their mind. In a sense, they were haunted by it. As we end this series today, uh, we're going to see that Christianity offers a deep hope in the midst of life's real brokenness. Even in the face of death, Christianity offers hope for the life of the world so that humans can flourish when they face darkness brokenness, and even death. Our passages today, we're going to read two. Romans 8 and 1 Peter 1. Let me read, let me pray, and then I'll read Romans 8 and 1 Peter 1. Uh, Lord, we all come with our stuff. We all come with our fears and our anxieties and our negative thoughts and the things that make us feel hopeless. Like those boys, we have all seen some things. And we pray right now that you would give us a deep hope in the midst of the dark reality of living in this world. Lord, we don't have to ignore the way the world is as it really is. We can look into the darkness 
and know that the light of Jesus shines brightly in the darkness. Encourage us this morning. Bring us to greater flourishing through hope in you, Jesus. And all God's people said. Romans 8, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves have the Spirit as the first fruits. We also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope, we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Romans 8, 1 Peter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The word of God. What, what is hope? Um, a lot of people think that hope is optimism. It's your ability to keep your chin up. Uh, maybe things won't be that bad, so let's hope for the best. Uh, but Christian hope is very different than optimism. Uh, Jay Kim says it this way. He says, the idea of hope has been co-opted by passivity, neutered from its intended action-oriented nature. He explains. He says, we hope the lines aren't too long. We hope for a good diagnosis. We hope everything will work out. Today, hope is most often thought of as a grown-up version of wishing. This is why when our hopes seem a bit too outlandish, we may call them wishful thinking. Um, what do you wish for right now? What do you want to work out? But here's the hard thing about life. Sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes things go wrong and, and they don't get better. Sometimes tragedy happens. Sometimes we lose something. Sometimes we have pain that doesn't go away. Sometimes death comes. And Christian hope is different than hoping things will work out. Christian hope is different than optimism. Christian hope is different than wishing for adults. J. Kim goes on and compares the difference between optimism and hope. He says this, optimism is about imagining possibilities. Hope is an expectation that God will do what he said. Optimism requires us to blindly believe that things might turn out better, but hope allows us to see the world as it really is. Optimism can ignore real reasons for fear and anxiety and doubt, but hope confronts fear, anxiety, and doubt with deeper truths. Optimism can simply be putting a positive spin on pain and suffering, 
whereas hope rushes towards the suffering and pain in our world. Uh, Christian hope is different than optimism. Christian hope is different than wishing. Uh, Christian hope is not about saying, maybe things won't get bad. Rather, it's saying, even when they are bad, there is still light because God is present and God is committed. And there is a deeper reality than the pain. There is a deeper reality than the suffering. There is a deeper reality even than death. That's what hope is. What is that deeper reality? What's deeper than the brokenness of this world? Well, Romans 8.18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Notice St. Paul says, This life is broken and it hurts, but that's not all there is. The great hope, the great reality that's deeper than all the pain and deeper than all the suffering is that suffering is inescapable in this life, but suffering has an expiration date. Suffering and pain and brokenness have an expiration date on them. In this world, while we follow Christ, we will experience challenges and trials and hardships. That is just a fact. But there is not a period after that fact. There is a comma that says when Christ returns, we will be transformed and we will live in a world made new where there is no pain, there is no brokenness, there is no suffering. So we approach challenges and suffering and trials differently. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. You ever have things going well in your life and you're like, oh man, when's it going to go bad? You get that anxiety, right? Um, that's normal. What Christianity empowers us to do is to say, you know what, if I think a little bit broader than just this present moment, if I think about my life, as soon as I get out of these trials, I will have more trials. And as soon as I bypass this suffering, there will be new sufferings, and that will be present till the day I die, but that's not the end. I look forward to meeting Jesus face to face when I will be surrounded by joy and suffering will not be present at all. For us as people in the West, uh, we are suffering avoidant and suffering averse. Uh, there's something in our culture that thinks that life should just go great. And when life doesn't go great, guess who we blame? God. Now, th that's not unique um, in a sense, but in another sense, that is really strong in our culture. Like if you go and you, and you spend time uh, time with people who are from the majority world, they think a little bit differently than we do as Westerners. It's more like they expect hardship and suffering and the goodness that comes in their life, they see as blessings from God rather than they expect goodness in their life and any bad thing they see, it's, it's like God's fault. I think of some of my friends who were from uh, Western Rwanda and they were in these, they were in this tribe that was warring with another tribe and 
And literally there was a genocide where the other tribe came in and like wiped out most of their tribe. And after that happened, they were mourning and crying that they had witnessed their families be slaughtered and at the same time praising God. You're like, well, that doesn't make sense. And I go, exactly, it doesn't make sense. But in in the midst of their escape from the slaughter, they saw the goodness of God in the midst of those trials and hardships. Uh, We often think that God is out to get us. But as we look at the suffering in the world, we tend to blame God for that rather than human rebellion. Like if the world, if in the world, we would just follow the Ten Commandments, there would be a whole lot less suffering. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't lust in your heart after someone else's wife or their property. If we could just get those things down, there would be a lot less human suffering. And so often when there's suffering, we blame it on God when God's the one who's saying, don't do that stuff that causes human suffering. But still even in that, I I know that we just say, if we could just get this stuff under control, it makes you feel a little bit helpless because you know that we're not gonna get that stuff under control. But when Jesus returns, he will. When Jesus returns, he will make all things new. When Jesus returns, the normal will not be disobedience and rebellion and human suffering. Rather, it will be righteousness and joy and peace. And if you begin to understand that it does something to your heart, it it grows longing. It grows desire. You want something more than you get in this moment in this world because you were made for a different world. And we look at the decay in our world and we realize that the sin and the brokenness, the things that often make us feel hopeless, come from our rebellion, not from God's cruelty. But in God's commitment, he promises to return and make all things new and banish human suffering forever. And that's how St. Paul says in verse 24, now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait with patience. And that's what we're doing. I mean, we're at church right now and you're gonna go home and have lunch, but what we're doing as Christians is we're waiting with hope. We're waiting for Christ to return. We're waiting for him to make all things new. This is what the hope that, this is the hope that we have. In our culture right now, something has been trending um, called manifesting or scripting. And Vox magazine calls manifesting. It's the practice of thinking aspirational thoughts with the purpose of making them real. And scripting is just writing those things down. And, you know, I I do business coaching and I encourage my clients to like envision where their life could go, to actually think about a a picture of their life that they can work towards. Uh, But manifesting is a little bit different from that. It comes from books like The Secret or The Power of Positive Thinking or Things Think and Grow Rich. Those are books that it comes from. And the idea is that like, if you want a good job, just meditate on it until it happens. 
If you want to find that soulmate, just think positive thoughts and, the un- and you will unlock something in the universe and that, pos- and that soulmate will come to you. If you want success, think success and that success will find you. And, and listen, there's nothing wrong with thinking positive thoughts, but, but I find that this idea of manifesting has its weaknesses as well like in the face of really dark darkness, like in the face of mental illness that doesn't get better, like in the face of life circumstances that just don't turn out your way, like in the face of death. And the weakness of manifesting, the weakness of scripting is that it's all on you. If something bad happens to you, it's your fault because you should have thought your way out of it. You should have reflected your way out of it. You should have put your mind to work and envisioned something different. And you and I know that's just not how life works. Sometimes bad stuff happens and it's not our fault and there's no way out of it. So manifesting is weak in the sense that it's totally dependent on you. But the, the other thing that just kind of bothers me about it is it's all about you. Like it's really focused on just my life getting better. Whereas Christian hope is not about me. I'm part of it, but it's about all of us. It's about what Jesus is going to do everywhere in everything for everyone. And the great thing is, it's not dependent on me. It's dependent on him and what he promises to do. It's dependent on God. And this is why in 1 Peter 1, Peter calls it a living hope. Because our hope isn't just like this cap that we put on and we sort of see everything with rose-colored glasses. No, we have a living hope, and his name is Jesus. He's the one who defeated sin and death and kicked open that tomb and promises to come again one day and rise people from the dead and make everything sad come untrue. When we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, we're not talking about a spiritual metaphor. We're talking about a historical event, something that actually happened. A person died and rose from the dead by the power of God. And that person who rose from the dead is the second person in the Trinity, is God himself. And so as we think about our Christian hope, it's about what God has done and what God will do. And it's not dependent on you, but you get to be part of it. And that gives us hope, even in the darkest moments. I went to seminary with a guy named Josh. And I didn't know him very well. Occasionally, our denomination would have meetings once a year, and I would get a chance to just hang out with him and say hi. And um, A couple months ago, uh, Josh's wife took her life. And I know for some of you that that's hard to hear. That might trigger you. And and if you're in a place where like, man, I'm wrestling with that myself, like your life is valuable and please come talk to me. But I also want to show you an example of what hope looks like in the darkest darkness. I want to read you this post that Josh put up a couple weeks ago, and bear with me, it's a little long, but I think it'll be meaningful for you. This is Josh and his wife, Katie, and Josh wrote on Facebook, I don't have the words to express the deep pain and sadness my family and I have experienced 
since Katie died three months ago. St. Paul called death a thief. It certainly robbed us of a wife, a friend, and a mother, and the world is less than it was with her in it. Suicide steals more than life. It takes the ground out from under the survivors. Katie didn't leave a note. Only unanswered questions. Why did this happen? Why didn't I see it coming? Why could I, what could I have done differently? Why didn't she reach out for help? We will never know what she was thinking, what came upon her, how her mind processed, which causes and prompts led her to act on an impulse, and why she did something so contrary to her deepest convictions and affections. There are no answers, just pain, grief, and absence. As long as I've known Katie, she struggled with bouts of depression and shame and feelings of worthlessness. In 2021, she began to show signs of a deeper illness leading up to a psychotic episode that resulted in her hospitalization and diagnosis of bipolar II. It was scary and unpredictable. She began treatment and I resigned from my position as a pastor at our church. With help from family, we both planned to move back to Tulsa to give her the best chance at recovery. Her friends, her counselor, her psychiatrist, and myself all commented on how much her affect seemed to be improving after winter. We spent a week away from our kids on an island in the Caribbean. We made plans for the summer and my new career in Tulsa. And then she left us. I'll never understand. Every cell in my body wants to rebel against the very fact that she is gone. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Martin Luther once said that someone who dies by suicide has been murdered by Satan. It is as if her life had been taken by a robber in the woods. That is the only way I've been able to get my head around this tragedy at all. Katie was murdered by the enemy. In a vulnerable moment, she lost the battle with her chronic illness. I keep reminding the children of how much she loved them and how proud she was of them. They love her too. We have all lost so much. Then hear this, people. There are no answers in the valley of the shadow of death. But I am told and still believe that this is where the good shepherd resides, walking hand in hand with his beloved children. By his grace, I am one of them. By his grace, I still call him good. By his grace, I hope in the resurrection and the life. By his grace, I hope to persevere through this world and embrace Katie again in the world to come. For now I have many, many tears, but he promises to wipe each of them away for good. This is not the end. Optimism can't look that situation in the eye and offer deep truth and new reality. But Jesus can. 
And as Johnny Erickson taught us, says, every day is a turning of the page. It is getting closer and closer to when Jesus returns. Every day that you wake up, we are one day closer to our hopes being realized when Christ returns and make, makes all things new. And when Jesus returns, you will see fire in his eyes because he hates suffering. And Jesus hates shame. And Jesus loathes death. He will destroy death forever. And friends, on that day, he will raise Katie from the dead. And he will raise her husband, Josh, from the dead. And he will wipe every tear from their eye. And on that day, he will rise you out of your grave to live eternally with him. See, whatever you're going through, it's not the end. And even if your life, forbid it, even if your life ends tragically, it's not the end. It's not the end. Jesus has the last word. And when he returns, he will renew all things. And if you get a hold of that today, it will give you incredible hope. So today, Christian, see beyond just, is there a better way to look at this situation? See beyond optimism. See beyond just wishing those things aren't bad. But long for Christian hope. Long for the day when everything sad will come untrue. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.